Hebrews 6 and verse 13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, in your presence this morning to forgive us of our sins and help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. And Lord, we pray that you incline our ear to what you would say. Open our eyes to see the wonders of your word. Lord, unite our hearts in your presence, seeking after you and God satisfy our souls as only you can. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're continuing our series on the soul. Uh, we finished going through the book of Acts on Sunday morning. The Lord uh, had just led me. We, we need to be talking about our soul because it's very important. We know we have one and we know it's important. And one of the things that we've learned is that our soul is needy. That's the only thing we're unlimited in is our need, our desire. In every other way in your life, you are limited except in your needs and in your desires. And that points us to him. Amen. He is, he, he is sufficient to meet our unlimited need. But we see all the different things that our soul has need of. And we can see our tendency to seek the fulfillment of those elsewhere. And so we talked about our soul needs a keeper and he has given us a responsibility in there. We saw it where he said in the book of Proverbs, guard your heart the deep part of you, the core part of you, your soul with all diligence, right? And Christ himself said, what does it gain? Was it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And he's given us the opportunity to be the keeper of our soul. So we're going to talk about today another need that our soul has. And again, we're out of the book of Hebrews. Now, when he first took me to this passage, I saw all the rabbit holes that were in it. All the different things that could be chased in this text. Uh, I mean, goodness gracious, you've got God, you've got Abraham, you've got promises and oaths, uh, you've got uh, anchors, uh, you've got the temple, you've got Jesus, you've got hope, you've got Melchizedek. There's just all kinds of things. I was like, Lord, this might take for way too long uh, going through this text. Are you sure this is where we want to go? Uh, but he didn't give me any relief on it, so I'm going to try to uh, walk through it. But he started to simplify it for me. And he did that with two questions and two questions. I'll ask them to you here at the beginning and we will flesh them out as we go. Uh, the, the two questions we're going to try to answer today out of this text, especially as it relates to our soul. The first one is, why would a person lie? Why 
would a person, why would you or I, why would a person lie? That's the first question. The second one is, why would a person need an anchor? Why would a person need an anchor? So starting here in the text in verse 13, it says that God made a promise to Abraham. And now this is one of the rabbit holes we could chase, but we're going to chase the Abraham rabbit here in a few weeks. We're going to go back and talk more about this promise and about Abraham and about his response to it and to God in the midst of it. But just in brief, God told Abraham, take your wife and go out from among your family. Go out from among the people that you are connected to, that you have a relationship with, and go into the land that I will give to you, that I will show you. And you can see here, he's telling him, I will indeed bless you. I will greatly multiply you. Here was an interesting thing, though, about Abraham and his wife. They were older and they had no children. They were older and they had no children. And God is telling them, I'm going to, from you, start a line of people that will be special to me, that will be my own possession. I'm starting a people out of nothing, out of just this couple who is barren, has no children, has not been able to have children. And God also promised him, we don't have it right here, but I'll quote it to you, that in him, through him, through this blessing upon him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And we know that's a foreshadowing of Christ coming to be the savior of the whole world. That's a big promise to Abraham. And it says in verse 13 that God, with no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. And that in verse 15, Abraham, after waiting patiently, now we'll talk about Abraham. Did he wait perfectly? No, but he did wait patiently. After waiting patiently, he obtained the promise. That's verse 15. In verse 16, it says, let's reread it. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. And he's talking about how we do when we're really trying to convince somebody that we're serious about what we're talking about. And you've heard people say that, I swear on my grandmother's grave I'll do it, or I didn't do it, right? Or I swear, and it talks about in Scripture, I swear by the temple, by the gold in the temple. I swear by the highest heavens that I'm telling you the truth. When we're trying to make an oath and invoke something that's more powerful than we are to show, yes, I'm going to speak truthfully with you here. The promise, I'll do something or not do something. The oath, I'm binding myself to a higher power, a higher authority than what I have. That's why when you go to testify in court, you put your hand on the Bible and say, do you promise to tell the truth? Whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. Right. And you're swearing on something higher than you. You're making an appeal to something higher than you because we're not very high on ourselves on our own. It says God swore by himself because he didn't have anything higher by which to swear by. In the verse 17, because God wanted to show his unchangeable power, his unchangeable purpose, even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is before 
us. Now, again, I know this is a lot. Just hang, hang here with me. We're going to simplify it here in just a second. And I kind of jerked the wheel on you because we've been in Psalms, Psalms, Proverbs, Psalms, ah, Hebrews. Right. It's a little bit different, a little bit different tone, a little bit different content. But the part that stuck out to me here, because, again, there's a lot swirling around in there. Let, let, let's get down to this specific point in verse 18 as we talk about our first question. Verse 18, it says, it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And I got stuck here when I was reading it. I got stuck here when I was studying it. And I've learned when I get stuck there, I just need to keep, I need to stay stuck on it until he shows me what he's wanting to show me. And I'm not, wasn't the first time that I had seen that. Wasn't the first time that I had heard that, right? The book of Numbers says that uh, God is not a man that he might lie or the son of man that he would need to change his mind or Repent. It says, does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So I'd heard this before, but that jumped out to me, that word that it's impossible for God to lie. Now, why? Why won't God lie? Why is it impossible for God to lie? Well, obviously he's holy, right? He's holy and to lie would be sin and it would corrupt his holiness. So obviously he would never lie because he is holy and that is true. And I was thinking, I was like, Lord, there seems to be more there. There seems to be more there than just that you're holy. And I don't say that that's not a big deal. His holiness is, is awesome, referring back to that word. But there are things that I won't do that are still possible for me to do. You see what I'm saying? There are things that I can do that I don't do, even though that they're possible. And so I was just hovering back over that word, impossible. It's impossible for God to lie. That's a big, big question. And it it took me back to our first one. Why would a person lie? The more I looked at it, the more that question came back up to me. I was even walking around Wednesday night after church, after everybody had left. I, I just walked for a minute, just thinking on that. Why would a person Lie. Why would you lie? Why would I lie? Why would we need to, want to, or be tempted to lie? And I just kept thinking about it. I went home. I asked everybody in my house. I almost posted on Facebook, but I thought, we're not going to do that. I asked everybody in the house. And I'd already started to think through kind of a form to answer. And I came up with two reasons why somebody would lie. Primary reasons why someone would lie. And again, I asked everybody in the house. And Caleb, after he thought on it for a minute, he said, And then he said the same two things that I'd already thought. I was like, well, there's confirmation. That's interesting, right? And he said the first reason somebody would lie would be to get their way. And the second reason somebody would lie would be to get out of trouble, right? And that made sense to me. Why would we, why would I lie? It would be to get my way. That there's something that I want that I don't have. And the only way I can get it is to tell a lie to get it. Right. And we put this on salespeople stuff all the time Well, they're not telling the truth. They just want my money. And so they're telling me what I need to hear, even if it's not true, so that I'll buy the product. And obviously not all salespeople are like that, but we get that, you know, there's that reputation. So there's something that I want. I'm wanting my way, but I'm not getting it. So I lie to get my way or I lie to get out of doing something that I don't want. Right. I lie to get out of a punishment to get out of trouble. 
So why would someone lie? Why would I lie? Because I estimate in my mind that a lie is going to be more helpful to me in this situation than the truth would be for me. Right? That's the only reason why you would lie is because the truth is not your friend in this situation, at least as you are looking at it. Right? Did you hit your brother? Why? Because you know the truthful answer of, yes, I hit him. I hit him hard, hard as I could, balled up my fist and just hit him. Right? That's going to result in what? A punishment, a whipping probably. You're going to be in trouble. So that's why they're, they're tempted to lie and say, no, I didn't hit my brother because the punishment or the consequence is something that they don't want. We're tempted to lie when the truth doesn't appear to be our help. That's what we're tempted to do. We're not getting our way, and so we lie to get our way, or something is going wrong, something's tough, something's hard, it's about to be a consequence on me. So to get out of that, I I tell something that's not true because I see that as the better way. Now, obviously, we're not promoting or condoning lying. That's not what I'm trying to do. And I'd even point out, when you try to cover something up with lies to keep from getting in trouble, Uh, you're only delaying the trouble. You are making it significantly worse for what's coming later. Well, I can't tell her about this because if I tell her about this, then all of this is going to happen. So I'll keep it hidden under a lie. But when we keep things in the darkness like that, they just continue to grow. And eventually the very thing, I can't tell her the truth about this because it might end our relationship. The very thing that I was trying to keep from happening, the lie ends up causing to happen anyway, right? Because it can't do what we're wanting it to do. So why would we lie to get out of trouble, like Caleb said, or to get our own way? And it says in here that so through two unchangeable things, God's promise and God's oath, two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. So why why is it impossible for God to lie? He's holy. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he's just. Yes, and in his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice, he has no reason to fear the truth. The truth is always his friend. He has no reason to not tell the truth. Why do we lie to get our own way? He has his own way. Why, why would we like to get out of trouble? Who's he in trouble with? Who could he be in trouble with? He has no fear of the truth. It's always his favorite answer. That, n- number one and number two, the things for us, the reasons why we would lie, they do not apply to him. We lie because of our wanting and because of our weakness. We lie because of our wanting and our inability to bring about the things that we want. He doesn't have that same want or inability. He doesn't. He does not. He doesn't experience them. It is impossible for God to lie because the truth is always on his side. Amen. The same reasons why we would lie are the same reasons why he doesn't, why he won't. You know, why don't we focus on this? Just grab a hold of this because it's really going to matter here in just a minute. It's really important that we know that he doesn't lie. He tells the truth. It's it's impossible for him to lie because of where we're going 
next. He tells the truth about everything that he says and everything that he promises. He promised Abraham, blessing, I will bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And he swore by himself because there was nothing higher that he could swear by. And he brought it to pass. He brought it to pass. So when you're looking at verse 17 and 18, that is one long sentence. That is one long sentence there that says, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose. So God has a purpose. He's got something he's working. He wanted to show that unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. Not just Abraham's children, but us as the body of believers in Christ Jesus grafted in into one new man. Right? He wanted to show his purpose more clearly to the heirs of promise. He guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. You've got all of those right there in the middle. So you could almost say because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose more clearly to us. We who have fled. This is the latter part of verse 18. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. He wanted to show more clearly his purpose. He did it through Abraham so that we, the heirs of the promise, those who have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to seize the hope that is set before us. Strong encouragement, courage, courage to reach into the promise or the hope that has been set before us to lay hold of it. And then look what it says in verse 19. We have this hope, what? That he keeps his promises. That the one who makes the promise is faithful and he is true, right? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We have this hope, what? The hope that God keeps his promises, not that maybe he'll keep it. You may hope that I keep my promise. We don't have to, we don't have to wonder whether or not he's going to keep his promise. If he promised it and he doesn't lie, he's going to bring it to pass, right? Even if we have to wait patiently like Abraham had to wait. And it says we have this hope, that hope that he tell that the one who promised is faithful and true. We have that promise as an anchor for our soul, which gets us to the second point. Why, or the second question, why would a person need an anchor? Why would a person need an anchor? This reminded me of when Kelly and Abby and some others from the church, some of the young people went down to uh, the Friendships. Friendships is a ministry in Lake St. Charles, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Port of Mercy is what they call it. They take uh, old cruise ships, old government ships, and they buy them and then they outfit them to go across the ocean on missionary journeys, taking food and medicine and, and good teaching to people around the world, specifically in areas where they're in crisis, where they're having refugee crises, where there are people there without food, without medicine, all of these things. And so they went down there and they spent the week you know, chopping vegetables to be frozen and, and doing different things to help uh, the group get ready for their next trip. And I stayed behind here uh, and Caleb was with me. This was in 2015. So Caleb would have been about five and a half, something like that. 
And they're sending back pictures. And again, there's these big, it's this huge shipyard and they've got these large ships. And one of the things they took a picture beside was an anchor, an anchor for one of these ships. And it was huge. It was bigger than those two doors back there. I mean, it's taller than both of them, you know, wider than you could reach your arms out. The huge uh, anchor that they took a picture beside. And I was going to pick Caleb up. He was at uh, Andrew and Heather's house and Shiloh was there and she was probably about four and I was talking about all the stuff that they were doing and all that they'd been getting to do. And I said, they took a picture beside a real anchor. And Shiloh said, a real anchor? What do you mean a real anchor? I said, Shiloh, do you know what an anchor is for? She said, decoration? <laughs> because, I mean, it was during a time where we're seeing, I mean, if you went into Hobby Lobby, you were seeing anchors. Right. We're seeing pictures that you hang on the wall, decorative anchors. And so in her mind, this is the only thing that an anchor would be used for would be decoration. Right. But that anchor that they were taking their picture beside, though, they had turned it into kind of like a little uh, monument out there because they weren't using it anymore. It, It had turned into decoration. That was not why it was originally made and originally purposed for. Right. Anchors are not just decorations. An anchor, and, and this, when they, when they mention anchor here, probably what they would have had a picture of would have been a, a bunch of rocks roped together or netted together with a rope tied to it. That would have been what they picture. So not decorative at all, but, but useful for what? An anchor is to keep you, hold you fast when you'd otherwise drift, Right? An anchor is to hold you in the spot where you're supposed to be, even when the conditions would blow you to and fro. It's to keep you stable when you would otherwise be just at the mercy of the winds and the waves and potentially even dashed upon the rocks. An anchor is to keep your position when you would otherwise be swept away. Why would a person need an anchor? You need an anchor for the storms. You need an anchor for when the storms come. And when you hear, when you think, when you hear storm, don't just think, you know, rain and thunder and lightning. That's what we think of. But when it's referring to an anchor, it's talking about a storm on the water. And when you have a storm on the water and you're in a vessel on the water in the storm, it's going to create disorientation for you. Meaning I don't know which way I'm facing. I don't know which way I'm supposed to go. I'm not able to navigate like I would normally navigate. And I am being pushed to and fro by the winds and the waves. Unless I've got an anchor holding me in my position, right? Difficulty, storms test us. And without an anchor, out an anchor, you are subject completely to the storm and you're potentially can be lost at sea. You can be pushed out so far off course that you're disoriented and you don't even know where you are on the map anymore. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In him, our soul has an anchor. Why would we need one? Because there are going to be storms. There's going to be times where I'm disoriented. There's going to be times where it's swirling around me so much that I don't know up from down, left from right. I need something to hold me in place until the storm passes. Amen.
in him our soul has an anchor. And that anchor of the soul is, again, what? That God, it's impossible for him to lie. Has he said it and will he not do it? His promise is true even when the present is tough. One more time. His promise is true even when my present is tough. I can trust him even when the wind's blowing and the rain's falling and the waves are rising. I can trust in him. Why else would he say I need an anchor? Because there's going to be some things I need to be anchored from. I don't need them to have control over me when he has a hold of me. It, <laughs> we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. This would be the other part that's important here is where this anchor is. It says it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, behind the veil. It's talking about the temple. And then it also says in verse 20, Jesus has entered there where behind the veil on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We don't have time to go into Melchizedek Just know when he says that, he means forever, forever. He means that Christ died once, rose again to life, never to die again. And when he says he entered in behind the curtain, they would have referenced in their mind the temple, but they would have known he wasn't talking about the temple because Jesus wasn't hiding behind the curtain in the temple. When Christ died the death on the cross, what happened to the curtain between the outer court and the inner court, the outer court and the holy of holies, where God's presence dwelled, it was rent from top to bottom, right? So we know he didn't go hide in there when he was in the We know he didn't go hide in there after he ascended. What he is talking about is in the very presence of Almighty God in the heavenly courts where he sits and rules and reigns in power and in love. It's saying that's where your hope is anchored. And that part is very important because it is forever. It is unchanging. It is everlasting from everlasting to everlasting. It is eternal and it is untouched, unblemished by anything that goes on down here. So when he tells me that my hope is anchored there, I don't have to worry about it changing. Everything here changes. Everything here changes. There, he is completely perfect and unchanging. And again, this is for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said, you have an anchor for your soul that the one who promised told you the truth. And what he told you he would do, he will bring it to pass. Again, why would a person lie? Because the truth is not their friend. The truth is not a help to them in their mind. Is it the better thing for them? Always. But they look at that and go, huh, if I tell her this, she's going to be mad at me. This is the truth. If I tell her this, she won't be mad at me. I'm going to go with not being mad at me. Right? And I go off and he doesn't do that. Because the truth is always his friend. It is impossible for him to lie. He has no need of it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. We, because it is impossible for him to lie, we who have fled for refuge, safety, help, sanctuary, 
we are encouraged to seize this hope that is set before us. What? The hope that he's telling the truth. The hope that he has told us the truth. Just like he told Abraham the truth. And this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, and it goes behind the curtain. It goes behind the curtain. Our hope is that the one who can't lie has promised good things to us and won't he bring it to pass? Won't he bring it about for those who are in Christ Jesus? It goes into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain here where God dwells. And why why would a person need an anchor? Because they're going to go through storms. They're going to go through storms, difficulty, trials, and that hope also holds you in all of life. It holds you in all of life so that when you would say, well, I'm sick, but I'm sick, but you won't always be sick. Well, but I'm poor, but you won't always be poor. But I'm hurt, I'm tired, I'm burnt out. Believer, you won't always be that way. And you have that promise as an anchor for your soul when you're feeling that away, when you're dealing with those things. And we know to pray when we're in those situations, but we also know that like Abraham, we're going to have to walk in patience sometimes. And while we're being patient, we're going to hear a voice saying, he's not telling the truth. He didn't tell you the truth about that. He did, he, you, you misbelieved, you misheard, you were mistaught. He didn't, he, he didn't mean that. That's not for you, right? We have disorientation. He's saying when those voices come, when those things begin to speak into your mind, you have this hope as an anchor for your soul that you won't be uh, double-minded as it talks about in James, uh, driven to and fro by every wind and every wave, but that you would be anchored in the one who promised and that he always tells the truth. Your soul has an anchor and we hope in the only one that tells the truth, God Almighty. Amen. That he speaks good things over us who are in Christ Jesus. Again, we have to be in Christ to have the good things spoken over us. How do we get in Christ? Through his grace and his mercy. It's, not, it's by faith. It's by grace we're saved and through faith and not of our works, not of anything I could have done. I didn't have to sink that anchor behind the veil myself. He went back there and he tied it down for me. He went to prepare a place for me. And when he did, he anchored me there. My soul is anchored where he is and his spirit from there. He sent the spirit of his son into my heart so that I could truthfully call out Abba, Father. And that connection there will remain unbroken until I get home. It will remain unbroken until I get home. Home. So when the winds and the waves blow and rage, and they will rage at times in your life, they just will. Know that you have this hope that the one who promised is faithful and he is true. He speaks good things over those who are in Christ Jesus, and it is impossible for him to lie. So we hope in his promise, and it anchors our soul to his presence. To his presence. So when we in our neediness, the neediness of our soul, start to look to other things to satisfy that need, that insufficiency that we have, he's like, mm, you're anchored here. 
You're anchored here. Hope in this. He encourages us to seize, lay hold of, grab, hang on to the hope that is set before us. It says he promised Abraham and not having anything above him to swear by, he swore by his own self. And we may get into that when we talk about Abraham here in about two or three weeks. And Abraham held on to what? The promise. The promise that was anchored in God's faithfulness, anchored in God's truthfulness, anchored in God's holiness and his righteousness. And Abraham held on patiently. And in his patience, he obtained the promise. He's telling us all you have to do when the storm's going, just hang on. Just hang on. Be patient. And you will obtain the promise. But it doesn't feel like it right now. But you have an anchor that goes behind the veil. Again, this isn't all that there is. And it's not all that there will be. And he's able to minister health and peace and joy to us by that connection. We experience it now in part. And we'll experience it in whole when we get home. I mean, why would a person lie? Because the truth isn't their friend. The truth is always his friend. He always tells the truth. Why would a person need an anchor? He told me I have one. Why do I need one? Because the wind's going to blow and the waves are going to rise. And I'm going to be just like the disciples when Jesus was in the boat and go, we're gonna, all going to die. It's the worst it's ever been. And it may be. And then you may experience the worst it's ever been again the next year. It may go up a level. I don't know. But what I do know is we have this promise. It's firm and secure. And it goes behind the veil. So when you're having those moments, you can go, "Mm -mm. I'm not going to let this blow me off course. I'm not going to let this drive fear into my heart because I know the one who is promised is faithful and he is true and it anchors my soul. Our soul, we talk about the neediness of it. It needs an anchor. It needs one. And he and his goodness, he and his grace has given us exactly what we need because he loves us so much. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we, the heirs of the promise, as you said here, that we can have a clear sight on your unchangeable purpose, your purpose being to grow, continue to grow this family that you started with two people out of nothing, you created something. And Father, we rest as members of that family today. And as heirs of that promise, you wanted us to see your unchangeable purpose. So you made a promise and you swore an oath and on two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for you to lie. We who have fled for refuge, we can be encouraged to seize the hope that you have set before us. Not only that you've made us a promise, but that the one who made the promise, it's impossible for you to lie. You are faithful and you are true. And this hope is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And it goes behind the veil. Father, hold us fast when the winds are blowing, when the rain is falling, when the, when the situation would disorient us. Remind us with that hope. It won't, it won't always be this way. It's not always going to be raining. It's not always going to be storming. The lightning and thunder aren't always going to be so loud. This too will pass from us. 
And Father, as our endurance is tested, I thank you that what holds us isn't ourselves, but the anchor that you have tied us to. You keep us in place and you keep us on course till we get all the way home. Our soul is needy and it needs an anchor. And I thank you that you gave us that in your grace, in your mercy, in your foreknowledge, and in your might and strength, that you're big enough to hold us. Be big in our eyes, Lord, that we won't grow weary in following you. We won't grow weary in doing the good things, the good works that you have put before us to do. But we know that we'll see the harvest if we don't lose heart. We can't do anything but plant and water, Lord, but we know you made a promise. You'll bring the increase. And I thank you that you bring it into our lives and you give us that confidence, that courage in our souls. That you be big, big in our sight so that we see that you're big enough for us to trust you even when things get uncertain, unstable around us. You are an anchor for our soul. I said that this is just for those who are found in Christ Jesus. But again, all we have to do to be found in him is surrender. Lay our yes down and say, forgive me my sins. You will be Lord of my life. And you go from being on your own, untethered, unanchored to being united with Christ Jesus. Who has gone in behind the veil for you not of your works, nothing you could do, but by his grace alone, through faith alone, we have been saved from what? From everything we needed saving from. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. As we get ready to go today, I thank you we go in a spirit of unity together with each other. Lord, conscious of the fact that you who made the promise are faithful. And true. As we go through this week, I thank you that you give us strength and peace and wisdom and favor with everything and everyone we come into contact with, that we draw on that connection that we have to you, that we're held in place by that anchor and we don't wander off from it. Thank you for your love that we experience in our heart and that you've poured out in our heart so that we can bring that experience to others and that our eyes would be open for those opportunities. Oh, we love you. We love you. And we thank you for the gathered body worshiping together in Jesus' name.